I do want to welcome visitors. I have noted people here that I don't know and that I've enjoyed meeting this morning. In, in case you don't know me, I'm Dan, and I'm a pastor here. And this morning, as you can tell from your bulletins, my title is Just a Closer Walk with the. That's the song that we just sang. You know, our text is James 4, verse 8, which states, <clears throat> Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And this verse delivers one of the simplest messages, delivers one of the most understandable messages, but delivers one of the most difficult to put into practice because from the moment you start, Satan is right by your side, ready for spiritual warfare. I think you'll find the title of the text and the outline in an insert in your bulletin for your easy reference. Let us... Now seek him and seek God's clarity on this, on this verse. We utilize Psalm 19.14. So dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Amen. So how close are you to God? I can tell you exactly how close you are. You are as close to God as you want to be. God is willing to get as close to you as you are willing to get close to him. And the first way to go one step higher for God is to get one step closer to God. And when you take that one step closer to God, you actually get two steps closer to God. For James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And that verse is both a precept and a promise. The precept is you draw near to God. The promise is God will draw near to you. Now, why is it in that order? Why doesn't God draw near to me so that I will then draw near to him? Why must I draw near to God first? Jeremiah 29, 13 tells us, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Why do I have to initiate the process? Why do I have to draw near to him before he will draw near to me? Well, the answer is in an old story. And most of you have heard this. I enjoy telling it because it just makes the point. It's about a farmer and his wife who were driving in town to town in their pickup truck. The farmer is sitting behind the steering wheel in silence. His wife was sitting on the other side of the cab against the door. And after several miles, the wife said, Jed, when we first got married, we didn't sit this far apart. The old farmer dryly replied, It ain't I who moved. That's God's response. This morning, I want to talk to you about developing the devotional life or connecting with the quiet time. If you are married, God wants to be closer to you than you are to your own spouse. If you are single, God wants to be closer to you than you are to your best friend. If you are a child, God wants to be closer to you than you are to your own parents. He wants all of us to just have a closer 
walk with him. And that comes through the devotional life, that quiet time with God. See, God is waiting on you to draw near to him, and when you do, he will draw near to you. The way to do that, the way to walk closer to God is very simple. First, take time for the walk. Look at the text again. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is not something you do once in a lifetime. This is something you are to do every day. Don't assume that just because you belong to a Bible-believing church that you are automatically close to God. It's possible to be diligent in your religion and yet distant in your relationship. We ought to consciously, conscientiously, and constantly be drawing near to God and hopefully on a daily basis. You know, many Christians are like a little boy I heard about who returned home from his very first day of kindergarten. His mother said, Jimmy, how did you like school today? The little boy thought for a moment and said, it was okay, but it's not something you want to do every day. (laughs) Well, I hope to motivate all of us to take one step higher and go one step closer in our walk with God. If not now, sometime in the future, It'll be something that you will do, you must do, every day. So if you're going to walk with God, you're going to take time for God. If you're going to take time for God, you have to make time for God. And I want to warn you that there is nothing the devil hates more than to see you make time for the quiet time. There was a motto framed on a wall I saw in a church. It was in the form of a letter And it said this, Dear Christian, when you're faced with a busy day, save precious time by skipping your devotions. Sincerely, Satan. The Lord Jesus said, Satan is a liar and a thief. He will lie to you and tell you you don't have time for the quiet time. Then he will try to steal the time away from you that you do have. One of his greatest weapons is television. Now, the following essay is extremely insightful about how TV can steal away the time that you could give to God. It's entitled, Satan's 23rd Psalm. Listen as I read. The TV is my shepherd. My spiritual growth shall want. It makes me to sit down and do nothing for his name's sake because it requires all my spare time. It keeps me from doing my duty as a Christian because it presents so many good shows that I must see. It restores my knowledge of the things of the world and keeps me from the study of God's Word. It leads me in the paths of failing to attend the evening Bible studies and doing nothing in the kingdom of God. Yea, though I live to be a hundred, I shall keep on viewing my TV as long as it will work, for it is my closest companion. Its sounds and its pictures, they comfort me. It presents entertainment before me and keeps me from doing important things with my family. It fills my head with ideas which differ from those set forth in the Word of God. Surely, no good thing will cover my life because my TV offers no time to do the will of God. Thus, I will dwell in spiritual poverty all the days of my life. I'm a TV watcher. 
So I'm not trying to imply that television is always evil or that it's always evil to watch television. I am saying you are going to have to create a quiet time. You must set a time to be quiet. Now let me stop here and give you a caution. The great danger people face when they make a fresh determination to spend time with God is that they set aside at the beginning too much time and fail. Some of you with good intentions may say after this message, I am going to begin every day spending an hour with God. I want to encourage you, don't do that. The best way to get started is to set aside somewhere between 10 minutes and 20 to 30 minutes of your time. And this is the key. When you are at your best focus, make that time a sacred appointment with God. And as you grow, your time with God will grow. Listen to what David says in Psalm 5.3. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. Now the word translated direct is the Hebrew word arak, A-R-A-K. It literally means to set in order. <clears throat> in the Old Testament there was a word that you, that was, this word was used to describe organizing soldiers for battle. Genesis 14.8, or arranging a sacrifice on the altar, Leviticus 1.8, or setting a meal before a guest, Psalm 23.5, or even presenting a legal brief in court, Job 13.18. In other words, David had a plan in his prayer. He had an order to his quiet time. Listen for us that the word can also mean to draw up battle or to take up positions. When you have a quiet time with God, you are presenting yourself for duty, ready to take orders for the day, to find out what it is that God wants you to do. That's why you must make time for that quiet time so that you can talk to God and that God can talk to you. Secondly, take tools to the walk. You know, just as a soldier never goes to war without tools, without weapons, a Christian should never go to his quiet time without certain tools. And there are basically only four things you need to have an effective quiet time. You need a Bible, a notebook, a prayer list, and a pen. You then need to take those tools to a certain place at a certain time. Health experts tell us, and I unanimously agree that the most important meal of the day by far is breakfast. Never start your day on an empty stomach, they say. Likewise, you should never start your quiet time on an empty heart. You should start it by feeding on the Word of God. It is incredible to learn that God has given us the exact diet we need to become the mature ministering Christians that he wants us to be. In fact, I found the Bible to be a four-course meal. For example, every meal begins with an appetizer, usually bread. Well, God's Word is the bread of life. Matthew 4.4 4 states, Man shall not live by bread alone. That's the bread of this world. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
But along with the appetizer, you have to have a beverage. First, Peter 2.2 states, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Then, of course, you have the main meal. The Bible is solid food for the mature. 1 Corinthians 3, 2 states, I fed you with milk and not solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Then Hebrews 5, 13 to 14 states, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Time to attend a formal Bible study, isn't it? Then finally, you have a desert, you have a dessert. And God's word is like honey. Psalm 119, 103 states, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Now, we are also told, both as a matter of etiquette and good health, that when you eat, you should eat slowly. Likewise, when you devour scripture, you ought to take each verse or section as a speed bump. Don't hurry through your Bible reading. It's not how much of the Bible you get through in your quiet time that matters. It's how much of the Bible you get right and ingest. It's profitable for instruction. It will tell you how to stay right. So take along the tools to the walk. Thirdly, take talk with the walk. The first step to walking with God is talking to God. You know, I was interested to find that the first time the phrase draw near to God is used in the Bible is in 1 Samuel 14, 36 to 37. And there King Saul is talking to, his, to the priest. He's talking to the priest about a certain course of action that he ought to take. And here's what we read. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God. So Saul asked counsel of God. You see, drawing near to God involves talking to God. Now you can pray without being close to God, but you cannot get close to God if you do not pray. If you are going to seek God, you must speak to God. If you're going to walk with God, you must talk with God. You know, we're talking about drawing near to God. And the Bible says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. I was reading in the internet the other day about the lungs. You know, the lungs are two sponge-like organs consisting of three lobes or sections. These are on the right. And then you have two lobes on the left. Air, as you know, enters through the nose or the mouth and it is sucked down through the trachea. And then it goes into the deepest part of the lungs into what is called the, the tracheal bronchial tree, which resembles an inverted tree. The tree branches out into thousands of small tubes and subdivides into millions of smaller bronchioles. And at the end of each bronchial are tiny air sacs through which blood and oxygen are transferred. Each bronchial measures only one two hundred and fifty thousandths of an inch thick. I get fascinated by this because I just see the marvel of God's creation. And then once every minute, the heart pumps the entire blood supply through the lungs. 
Through capillary action, the bronchioles soak up blue oxygen-depleted blood, remove its carbon dioxide, which is a waste product. The blue blood is then infused with fresh oxygen, which turns the blood red again. And these oxygenated bloods is then pumped back through the body to feed hungry tissues while the carbon dioxide is expelled while we exhale. Now, the quiet time is just like that. When you read your Bible, you are inhaling spiritual oxygen, and when you pray and confess your sins to God, you are exhaling spiritual carbon dioxide, and both are important to that good, quiet time. You know, there was a little boy on an airplane, and he was talking to his mommy, and he mistakenly said, Mommy, do you see that light blinking on the end of that wing? She said, yes. He said, do you see the other light blinking on the other side, on the other wing? She said, yes. Did you know, he said, that as long as the pilot stays between those two lights, he will always be headed in the right direction? As you see, it's a child's view of life. But the truth is, if you stay between prayer and the Word of God, you will always be headed in the right direction. Let me just say two very quick things about prayer. First of all, you should pray naturally. And that is when you pray, talk to God just like you would normally talk to other people or like you would talk to your best friend. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 7, And when you pray... Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. What Jesus meant was, don't just pray the same trite phrases over and over and over. Phrases that you wouldn't even use in normal conversations. You know, I don't believe that God hears a lot of our prayers or songs because we really don't pay attention to what we're even saying to him. Sometimes over and over and over. A lot of our praying reminds me of the true story of President Theodore Roosevelt. He was at a gala ball and people were coming by and greeting him. And all of them were saying the same thing, smiling the same tired smile, repeating the same greetings by rote, and they were talking with their mouths and not with their heads or their hearts. Well, President Roosevelt got tired of shaking hands and and smiling that big smile and responding with the same thing over and over and over. So he did something that was absolutely outrageous. He was absolutely convinced that nobody was listening anyway, and he began to greet the rest of his guests with a smile saying this, I murdered my grandmother this morning. (laughs) Roosevelt said, Everyone continued to smile. They smiled and they said things like, wonderful, lovely. One person even said, great, keep up the good work. (laughs) Roosevelt said there was one person, however, who did listen, a foreign diplomat. When he said that to the diplomat, the diplomat leaned over and whispered in Roosevelt's ear, Mr. President, if you did, I'm sure she had it coming to her. (laughs) True story. When you talk to God, talk to God. Talk to God the way you normally would talk, and don't just talk with your mouth, talk with your head, and talk with your heart. And on the other hand, pray systematically. 
All prayer should contain several elements. Praise, thanksgiving, confession, and intercession. See, I have found that variety is the spice of prayer. Have two types of lists as a prayer list. Have a daily list. That is, those are the things you pray for every day. And then, in addition, pray for different things each day. For example, on Monday, pray for the sick. On Tuesday, pray for the lost. On on Wednesday, pray for your pastors. On Thursday, pray for government officials. On Friday, pray for missionaries. Do it your way, but pray naturally and pray systematically. And fourth, take treasure from the walk. What I mean by taking treasure from the walk is this. There is an incredible blessing that comes to both you and to God when you take time for that quiet time. Three things will always happen. First, God is glorified. Psalm 50, 23 says, Whoever offers praise glorifies me. Have you ever been asked, just what is your purpose in life? Why are you on planet Earth? Listen, you can answer that question in three words. To glorify God. That's what happens when you have a quiet time. God is glorified. Secondly, faith is fortified. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When you make the time and you take the time to have that quiet time where all you do during that time is focus on God, there will be a peace like a river that will flood your soul. And finally, third, the soul is satisfied. Psalm 16:11 says, "You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore." In that quiet time, the path you should walk will be made plain. The presence of God will give you joy unspeakable and full of glory. And there will be a pleasure in beholding his face that you can't get anywhere else. You know, there's an old saying that says that the best things in life are free. Well, I have also learned that the sweetest things in life are simple. Technology is great. And I thank God for PCs, laptops, modems, faxes, DVDs, cell phones, etc. But if you have God's word so you can hear from him, and a godly heart that wants to talk to him, you can have just a closer walk with him, and you can go one step higher because you will be taking one step closer. Listen to this poem. If in your life the voice of God is sometimes hard to hear, with other voices calling his doesn't touch your ear, then set aside that laptop, unplug that fancy gear, open up that dusty Bible, and talk to him. In prayer. When you do, you will draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Amen? Amen. And let me know how it works out for you. You know, this coming week, focus on the distance between you and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, for we serve the one true God. Get to know Him. Amen? Amen. See you next week.